This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melbourne Law Studio, protected by crime prevention 24-7. And we are hearing a little voice back there talking. Uh, if you're concerned about that right now, we're trying to work out some uh, bugs of all things with our data researcher who is um, having problem with an echo where he's broadcasting from. We do not show his face. We do talk to him. And that's what we'll be doing today. Uh, so um, um, we'll stick with this for a moment and see if we can get it working just right for you and uh, not have a not have an echo here. So right now I'm hearing a bunch of stuff, but uh, we'll we'll try to get that worked out. Um, I'm going to try to introduce him without um, another voice in the background, which I'm hearing. I, this is all, um, you know, interesting stuff we're doing when we connect uh, people who are not with us in the studio. So um, there's an echo that keeps coming in, and we may have to terminate the conversation with him. Um, uh, you can hear that. Um, uh, yeah, it's not working. It's not working. Okay, hi. Do you have the show on right now? Yes. Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> yeah, sorry for sorry audience and listeners. We're gonna get the uh this <laughs> the data researcher on board here for a moment. Yeah, I finally figured it out. He's watching the show while he's talking on the show. That won't work. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to try to fill this air here for a moment while I get this going. Um, <laughs> thank you, Tammy. I knew you'd figure it out pretty quickly, but that's what's happening. So um, uh, we <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. But um, uh, let me see if I can see the show myself. So I understand that um, he'll have to call in again, and I'm not sure he's calling in again. Uh, hopefully that's that's the case. But, uh, well, let me talk about some things that are going on in the world, and we'll try to get Mark hooked up here. Um, you know, it's, it's every day is an interesting deal uh, when you're doing the Ward Scott Files. And I just uh, apologize for this happening. Um, this is... Um, I've got to pull out some paperwork here to fill in this little gap here. Um, I want to talk for a moment about something I was planning on talking about, um, uh, not today, because I was planning on having Mark on today, and I, I think we'll still get him on if we could just get this, uh, this settled. Um, you know, there's a bunch. I'm sorry, Tammy. I don't hear Mark. Mark, are you talking to me? No, he's not talking to me. Um, <laughs> hang on, friends. Um, you know, I'm going to try to call a man and get this going if I can. Uh, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> this call into the line, Mark. You called. You called the line. Tammy says he called the line. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, audience. You're watching live yeah, production problems here. You could probably also zoom in now, Mark, to shut off the show. But you got to do something because I've got to fill this dead air. <laughs> um, 
Okay. I'm going to I'm going to hang up and hope we get this going. Um, I can't keep going on like this, but anyway, I apologize, audience. Um, there's an interesting analysis that's coming out now about Trump's taxes, and um, you know they're going to they're going to play the game of a, a Trump of being a guy who basically what they're trying to say is has cheated on his taxes or somehow had advantages that um, the rest of the world didn't have. And uh, he, therefore, he's a bad guy because he's not transparent. He's not honest. Uh, you know, the whole scenario, it's a continued kind of effort to um, uh, really smear Trump. So and we know why we're doing that as is to render him inefficient uh, as a, as a potential kind of candidate. And welcome host. You are now in the host room and can manage your callers from the call-in studio web interface. Let's see if we got Mark on. Hang on. Mark, are you there? I'm here, sir. Okay, my golly. And you got the show off in the background. We have succeeded. and We have liftoff, my friends. We have liftoff at long last. If I'd been smart enough, I'd have known that he had the show on in the background and we were warming up 10 minutes before this show started. So we've spent 15 minutes. I apologize when it was a simple solution that should have been corrected right away. Um, Mark Glazer, you know, has now become a household name. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. He's um, um, pretty well known now, not only locally, statewide and nationally, as a guy who uh, uh, is doing the heavy lifting for the government. Uh, The government has all the money and has all the resources and has all the um, ability to do what Mark is doing. And Mark, being a database uh, researcher, uh, just sort of uh, as a hobby, really, initially, in uh, kind of uh, surfing the net, uh, looking to see what pops up, uh, found these things that were a little bit odd, and it became a, a, a point of inquiry for him. And he began to unravel that ball of yarn, and all of a sudden, he sees um, there's more of the story than meets the eye, and then he begins to unravel the yarn more. And next thing you know, we've uncovered what uh, really has become known for me on my end as voter beep, because you know how the tech platforms are. The tech platforms don't really want uh, the story out that Mark is discovering um, with no axe to grind. And we're just following the yellow brick road. We're just unraveling a ball of yarn. We have no idea where it takes one who unravels it. But, it, you know, it's quite a long and big ball because it keeps leading to more discoveries and more events. And it's become, as I say, well known to Breitbart. It's become known to Politico. It's become known uh, to a, lo- a lot of television stations and uh, even found his name in the front page of the Gainesville Sunset the other day. I think it was a roundup of the world news uh, here locally. Uh, but um so Mark is with us now. We got our bugs ironed out, and I'm going to let him really start it where he wants to start it. In other words, where did the string begin, and has he gotten anywhere near the end of it, or is there any way of knowing? And what are some of the bumps along the way, and some of the developments along the way? So Mark, um, I hear you loud and clear, sir. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Ward. Uh, as always, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. I'm glad we're out of this um, this weather bomb that just we just went through. So it's nice to have a warming trend uh, upon us now. So I'm thrilled about that. Thrilled to be on the show as well. Um, let's let's start by saying that we're going to refer to what we've discovered as voting irregularities. How about that? So that way that that way we won't get in trouble for using the uh, the F the new F word, the five-letter F word, um, as they say. So we're going to try to stay away from that. more if you'll keep me in bounds on that, I'd greatly appreciate that if you remind me when I violate that, oh, well. that rule. Uh, it is what it is, brother. I, <laughs> I think it's important to uh, know that we, we can divide what we've discovered really into uh, three um, different groups, first and foremost being the inmates in our county jail who passed ballots in the 2020 election uh, with the assistance of the supervisor of elections and her outreach director. Uh, of course, we discovered that in late February of uh, 2021. So we're coming up upon a, a two-year anniversary. And uh, as it stands right now, uh, that resulted in uh, 
10 prosecutions, uh, arrest, uh, transports from state prison. Uh, five of those cases uh, have been um, concluded with plea deals ranging from 10 to 36 months. In most cases, they were concurrent. In other words, it wasn't any extra time uh, for, the, for the state prisoners. In one case, it was. We have five cases still pending. And of those, um, uh, one of, one of those um, defendants is incarcerated as we speak, has been in county jail since uh, late March of last year. So um, it, it certainly has consequences. Uh, we certainly have results. We have been, uh, you know, verified and, um, uh, you know, proven correct uh, on our, um, the data that we pulled back in the day. And it's unfortunate that it takes, you know, close to two years to finally get any kind of traction on this. And of course, the other uh, big issue is the, um, the stream that we're swimming in. We're certainly swimming upstream at all times. Uh, no one in the legacy media is, is willing to put their pen down and listen. They, they all have a um, uh, pre-determined um, outcome of their stories. We've worked with ProPublica, the Washington Post, um, a lot of these, um, how shall I say, left-leading media outlets, Politico, uh, another example. So it's very difficult to get a fair and balanced um, assessment of what we've discovered, uh, the current state of affairs. So the one place you can get uh, the correct information, uh, straight from the horse's mouth, as they say, is on the Ward Scott files. So Ward, I always greatly appreciate what you've done um, over the years, but more specifically over the last two years to help us uh, drag this out by the nape of its neck and get it into the sun sunlight so that everyone can see exactly what we're dealing with. So that's, well, wanna, that's one couple, set. Yeah, I'm going to thank just for a moment and thank a couple of the donors who have helped us uh, um, get across the Rubicon, if you will, on a couple of the stone firewalls that they do put up for us now and then of getting information. And, and I just want to, mm. uh, they shall remain unnamed, but anyway, we know who they are, right, Mark? And they've helped us a lot. Absolutely. And keep in mind, it, it took $500 just to get the records request out of the supervisor's office that really blew the lid off of this thing. That's that's how we discovered through uh, internal emails that they had the plan was to go into the jail and, and register inmates. And the most interesting thing about that is it was in July of 2020. And as you may recall, we were in a worldwide pandemic, and in fact, there was a COVID outbreak at the jail um, that very day that uh, T.J. Pache, the outreach director from the Alachua County Supervisor's Office, um, made one of his three intrepid visits inside the county jail, which was never done before and hasn't been done since, and was aided and abetted by $700,000 of uh, money from a nonprofit that was funded almost exclusively by Mark Zuckerberg and his wife. So. These are the things that we discovered um, thanks to the public records request, which um, wouldn't happen without uh, your donors who have kind of um, brought up the financial seams on this because we're operating on a zero dollar budget. And of course, you mentioned the state has all, all the all the resources. Uh, they, in fact, have a one point two million dollar budget uh, this year alone. They have uh, 10 FDLE agents, one uh, supervisor, nine investigators uh, working um, full time. And yet we seem to be able to run circles around them in terms of finding the uh, voting irregularities, also getting them put into the, um, the proper court. And in most cases, it's with a local state attorney because the state has hit a roadblock in terms of uh, statewide prosecutors not having jurisdiction across really circuit lines. But think of it as county lines. So uh, three of their cases have already been dismissed. They're um, based on that technicality. And those are being appealed by the state. So they're, they're rather stuck on stupid right now is the, w the way I put that. Meanwhile, our cases are marching forward. In fact, uh, there are 24 different defendants that have hearings in the next six weeks, uh, not the least of which is next week in Duval County in Jacksonville. There's a sentencing hearing for a man who was convicted of homicide and um, molesting a child here in Alachua County and uh, voted freely and willfully in the has, has been um, has pled guilty has been uh, convicted and is awaiting sentencing on uh, January the 4th next week so that'll be a big story that'll be coming out obviously that's one of our cases we have 21 more cases behind that in Duval County alone 
So we've filed over 100 complaints, all of which have been verified, many of which are um, being currently investigated and pushed out to the local state attorneys, as is what happened here in Alachua County. Unfortunately, it takes months. In the case of FDLE's investigation with county jail, it took them eight months to provide these, the report and the sworn complaints to the state attorney. So these things do take time, but there's really no excuse for the foot dragging that we've experienced that, that we've seen not only locally, but around the state. And it, it's time um, to really um, wrap this thing up because there is a statute of limitations as well, that a three-year statute that comes into play. So if you voted um, with irregularities in, uh, in the 2020 election, um, you will be, you will have, you will have cover of the statute of limitations, uh, you know, in another year or so. So it, it all gets pretty important pretty fast. Um, did have a call last week with the Office of Elections, Crime and Security in Tallahassee, the interim director. Uh, the director, as you know, Ward had a heart attack in the hallway outside the governor's office and passed away just weeks after he was appointed as director and they made the a sweeping arrest back in August um, of this year. So now we have an interim director, and they're they're quite perplexed at what to do next because their their cases are being uh, dismissed based on this technicality, and they're having to appeal them. So certainly, our roadmap for success is something they need to be looking at. They need to say, "Hey, this worked for this individual. He's he's gotten these cases investigated. They've proven out." They're being prosecuted. They're being um, convicted. They're being sentenced. This is probably how we should handle this moving forward. And of course, they've got all they've got all the investigative resources that we don't have. And you know, we're just flying solo here, like like I said, on a zero dollar budget. So back to your point. Thank you to the to the donors who have have given to the Ward Scott Files. It does give us the extra horsepower we need to. Um, get the, the information that, that we need. That, and then also the other magic ingredient, of course, is time. All of these things take time. So I'm asking your audience to be patient with us. But we will certainly roll this out over the next six weeks in a very specific and and uh, uh, defined manner. And of course, the Ward Scott Files will be the first one to uh, get that information, as always. Well, we want to uh, thank you for the work you do. And uh... Mark and I have kind of been working together for a long time now, and it's uh, it's always been a, a great relationship in that we uh, uh, kind of got the microphone and he's got the uh, ability to do the research. And so we can get this out to you um, locally, statewide, nationally, and um, you all have to sort of take it from there and weigh it against what you're being told by, quote unquote, the conventional media. Uh, we've long known that, as Mark alluded to a moment ago, uh, we're swimming upstream constantly with this story. It's it's one that nobody wants to believe. It's uh, one that nobody wants to think is statistically significant. Uh, uh, the, nobody feels that it's uh, worth dragging out now that, quote unquote, the election's over. Um, but it continues. We found the same sort of situations in some cases in the 22 midterms here. Uh, I'll have Mark go into that in a moment because uh, we talked about how slowly the wheels of justice, if you will, creak and they creak so slowly that there were some uh, offenders that um, practiced the same thing uh, as a transgression we discovered in 20. And so at 2022, you had the same kind of game being played by its people. You want to go into that a little bit, Mark? I mean, we've talked about that, how ironic that is. Sure, we can talk about numbers in 2020 first. Uh, there's no question that uh, at least 2,000 sex offenders and sexual predators registered to vote in the 2020 election and were likely ineligible. And at least 25% uh, of those actually cast ballots. So you've got 500 votes there that are into question. Um, obviously, that, that's just the tip of an iceberg because you have the quote-unquote returning citizens who owe fines, fees, and or restitution, as was the case in the inmates in the Alaska County Jail. And then the number goes up exponentially. So you're talking about a significant impact uh, in, a, in an election that has national um, uh, repercussions and consequences. So um, for those that say, you know, it's statistically insignificant, I would only point to the Bush-Gore 2000 election where that election nationwide was decided by eight votes per Florida county. So it, it can matter. It does matter. 
And so I always ask people, what's your threshold for voter irregularities? And, you know, if they say if they say more than zero, then the conversation's pretty much over because it, it can only take one vote to change an election, as we know. So that, that's first and foremost from 2020. Now, granted, the chilling effect that took place in August of this year before the primary certainly impacted a lot of the ineligible voters uh, casting ballots in the 2022 election. And that's that's plain to see just by the fact that the governor won by almost 20 percentage points um, among the other issues that were taking place. But that doesn't mean that voting irregularities stopped and ceased in 2022. In fact, um, I found quite simply nine cases here locally where returning citizens owed fines, fees, and or restitution and still cast ballots. So that's just a thumbnail um, sketch, if you will, or a snapshot of um, a small group that I've you know perused through the data. Very easy to find, very simple. And so if you extrapolate that across the state, you'll find that, again, it has a significant impact in real numbers um, in some of these elections. So, uh, you know, at this point in time, uh, the Republicans are very happy because there's, there was only five counties that voted blue. That would be uh, the minority-based um, county of Gadsden. You've got Leon County, home to Florida State University. You've got Alachua County, home to the University of Florida. And then... <laughs> As, as fate would have it, you have um, Orange County, of course, in Orlando, but you also have um, Broward County. Interestingly enough, the surrounding counties of Palm Beach and Miami-Dade, which are historically left-leaning, um, actually voted uh, more Republican than they did Democrats. So the Republicans are extremely pleased with the outcome of the 2022 elections, but they're really not interested in eradicating or rooting out these voting irregularities as well, because it, it does hit both sides of the aisle. In fact, some of the most um, folks that push back the most um, are some of the Republican supervisors of elections, because this happened on their watch, and they came out with a memo in November of um, uh, 2021 that said the voter rolls are clean. You know, you can rest assured that there are no ineligible voters on the voter rolls. In fact, that was not the truth. And the question then becomes, was it misinformation did they did they say that and not know know that it was not the truth or did they actually know it and state it anyway then it becomes disinformation so the very thing that we're being accused of on a regular basis um, actually falls back into the laps of the supervisor of elections themselves who are busy pointing fingers at the state the state pointed fingers at the supervisors so basically there was no um, nobody guarding the hen house so what transpired in 2020 was the fact that it was an absolute Wild West free-for-all. Anybody and their cousin could register to vote and vote with impunity. And then if someone like myself came along and discovered that possibly they should not be voting as an ineligible voter, then maybe after two years, something might be done. And so now that we have this um, Elections, Crimes, and Security um, Unit, it is incumbent upon them to actually do their job. And so finally, last week, I got a breakthrough and got a phone call from the interim director, which was very helpful. And of course, you know, their story is we're just preaching to the choir. They would love to, you know, do the things that I'm um, advocating. But unfortunately, with this technicality, they're, they're just, they're like a deer in the headlights at this point. So here they have 10 investigators full-time, $1.2 million, and their success rate is actually quite poor at this point in the fact that three cases have been dismissed. Um, one case was dropped and another case was um, uh, adjudicated with no time served. So their track record is quite pitiful and our track record is stellar considering that we have a 100% success rate at this point. None of our cases have been um, uh, dropped or dismissed. In fact, the only case that went away was one of the defendants was deceased. So that case has has uh, historically gone away. But we are running circles around a state agency that's um, been uh, funded with taxpayer money, and yet they're not able to do the types of things that we're doing, this heavy lifting, this this reaching out to the various and assorted uh, formats out there for the, um, the media that we're having success with. In fact, ProPublica came here to my office and did an interview for their story, 
And um, the Guardian reporter, uh, Kara Lerner, is coming to Florida very soon, and she wants to meet with me as well. So these are the types of folks that are interested in speaking with us. Unfortunately, historically, they have such a left-leaning mentality that it makes it very difficult to get a clear and balanced story. But that's that's what we're willing to do. We're willing to put our name out there, willing to take the risk. It's unfortunate that a private citizen has to risk their their family's name, um, their life and limb, in, in order to um, name names of uh, convicted murderers, convicted rapists in our in our community throughout the state who are actually casting ballots and who are likely ineligible voters, which is being proved out in the courts as we speak. So we're we're excited um, to see what's in store for us in the near future, and we look forward to continuing um, this particular uh, story. But, of course, for you and I, we have other stories as well. We just got some new information yesterday on some voting irregularities here in our 2020 and 22 elections, and also we're working with a very large publisher on a story um, where a local man has 35 children, many of whom are um, with underage mothers, a story that has, has never seen the, uh, the light of day. And so we're working with the publisher on that as well. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you. And this is a risky business. So, um, you know, I'll just say uh, someone has to step forward and do it. And thank you, Ward, for what you do on your show and giving us a platform so we can get the word out. Well, with Mark Glazer and Clay, show, you're just tuning in. If you're tuning in early, we had a couple of situations we had to understand and clear up. We got that cleared up. So we begin this conversation about five minutes after the show is in, if you're just tuning in. So um, it's all part of the a wonderful world of um, podcasting and production and guests and people uh, uh, speaking uh, uh, over uh, the modern world that we have while we can connect each other from uh, geographical distance. Uh, we're not in the same room. Our production's not in the room I'm in. I'm not in the room uh, the guest is in. And uh, it's all kind of interesting. And we got it stitched together for you. So we hope you're enjoying the conversation. We've really only scratched the surface. And um, what we're talking about is, if you, I, I think I can sum it up. I think Mark will amend this if I don't get it right. But basically what we've encountered is, for lack of a better, better word, the lethargy of the state um, it manifests itself on several levels. Um, the supervisor of its elections really should be on guard for this sort of stuff. Um, they, they're not. Uh, they draw handsome salaries, six-figure salaries. Generally, once they are the supervisor, they're the supervisors until they decide to quit. Uh, they get a handsome retirement. They get an office. They get a staff. And yet, what comes from it? Um, if we can instantly kind of find these things uh, that, granted, many of them are embarrassed by and don't want to pursue, as Mark alluded to, uh, why, why can't they? That's one question we've come to. The other thing we've discovered, and, and Mark alluded to this, is the enormous impact that private money had in 2020 on the public election, namely in the form of Zuckerbucks. $700,000 worth of money just pumped into this supervisor's office. There was so much of it that she had to give back $200,000 of it. Uh, she couldn't find a way to spend. And uh, we can go into that a little bit on some of the things she spent it on. I mean, uh, that would be interesting for us to, to share with you in case you didn't know it or if you've forgotten it. But that's just one supervisor. And we have to believe it was targeted by the left for left-leaning kinds of districts like we are. Uh, as Mark also mentioned, you know, we're one of the bluest parts of the state, uh, along with uh, 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 wherever there's a university, it seems. And they obviously got dumped up, uh, surprising to them, a bunch of private money. Um, that, that, that enabled, if you will, uh, the absentee ballot, the mail-in ballot, the harvesting of these ballots which we haven't talked about yet, which is largely in our experience, and Mark can correct me if I have this wrong, uh, very difficult to account for. Uh, who signed them, who voted, how many times, you know, these are mail-in. And what we generally have discovered is the more you elongate the voting period uh, during which one can vote, the less accountability there is. Uh, the most precise accountability uh, you would therefore have to 
reason would be voting on the same day with picture ID and identification and you are who you say you are and you count those votes. Uh, When it gets stretched out and, you know, the argument, well, if we don't stretch it out, then you're exercising voter suppression. But what we've encountered is when you stretch it out, you you, uh, more often, quite often, not always, you develop a voter uh, unaccountability. So um, we're going to take a break at the bottom. Of, is, I've got that basically right, Mark, just before I take a break. Did I sum that 100%, up? 100 percent. And I can uh, I can speak to that after the break, if you like. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, we're just all the things we've learned. I guess we should sit down together and write a book about it because uh, it's very interesting. It, it's uh, if you are concerned about what is the real story about voting, uh, we know it's difficult to get out because you know, we've been taken off of the YouTube platform basically for violating community standards, which is nothing more than a questioning the, the voting narrative. And nobody wants to look at it. And the problem is you, we're not going to go back and, and, and deal with 2020, but we're going forward. We don't want to repeat 2020, even repeat 2022 in some form. So uh, there's work that's being done there. It's very important. And at some point in time, maybe we'll uh, get it into a more permanent form, but it is in permanent form on the wordsgodfiles.com website. Uh, All the shows are are there. And uh, right now we are connecting with Rumble and Rumble has them. And then we load them on the website. We know the data of people who consult the website. It is an enormous number of people. So we appreciate that, that you all do come back. We track all that. We know who's, uh, how many are listening when and where and all that business. So uh, we keep the note in the bottle coming to you. And hopefully on the island you are on, that bottle washes up on your beach at some point. We'll be right back in the Ward Scott Files and do the weather a little bit. And then we'll resume our fascinating conversation with Mark Glazier. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil.
Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Uh, we're having a fascinating conversation with our data researcher, Mark Glazer. We'll be right back with him in a moment with some more interesting chapters in this long, long developing novel about the voting irregularities in the culture of this country. Um, it is 47 degrees right now, according to the thermal meter on the computer that I'm looking at, but it's going to get into the 70s today. So we didn't freeze last night, and it's the first time we haven't gone into those freezing temperatures for a while. We're going to be warming up, and hopefully that will produce a, 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 a little different culture. You can go out and take the sheets off your plants and water them and find out which ones made it and which ones didn't. So, uh, but the, the, the weather in the country is really kind of strange. Uh, still, uh, I-70 in Colorado, people spent 10 hours stuck in their car. Now, I've been stuck in a car on Berthard Pass uh, out of Empire on the way to Winter Park in a blizzard, and it's no fun. Uh, when you strike out in the mountains to go somewhere, you had better be prepared to spend the night in that car. We spent several hours in the car, the heavy snow coming down, not knowing we'd ever get out of that pass. Uh, and we got to questioning ourselves, did we have water? Did we have, what, what would we do if we were there for a while? So that's still going on for some people. Meanwhile, there's supposedly going to be a dramatic warm-up to thaw the East Coast before New Year's Eve. And there's still, the death toll is still rising in Buffalo uh, where the bomb cycle came through. And it, it's just a, a catch-as-catch-can of weather right now. And there's no way to really predict um, uh, whether you'll be in that car for hours or not, depending upon where you are and which bomb cyclone is coming. There's supposedly another big storm coming uh, across from the northwest and also dump more uh, in the mountains and along the northern states uh, of Michigan and uh, that area. So we'll just have to ride it out. But right now, we've got a little reprieve here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. And hopefully where you are, you're not stuck in an automobile in a snowstorm blizzard. We're talking with uh, Mark Glazer, a uh, longtime friend and partner, really. In many ways, we're partners in, in, in uh, providing you all with information that makes you uh, a better informed citizen. And it's always up to what you do with it. And right now we're focusing, occasionally we kind of have a wrap up and a summary with Mark because I'll assure you that he's never at rest, but uh, periodically uh, every few weeks or so, we get together for a very detailed conversation. And I can assure you that he's speaking off the top of his head uh, on the other end of this conversation. We only listen to his voice. We don't show him. On, on the screen. So um, we were talking before the break about the influence of Zuckerberg's public money on uh, uh, private money on the public election process and how this particular supervisor got $700,000 and had to give even 200000 of it back, unable to spend it. But uh, Mark knows these details about these nonprofits better than I do. So, Mark, uh, take it away, my friend. Thank you, Ward. Uh, so at one point in time, there was a link that uh, the Zuckerberg nonprofit, uh, CTCL, um, uh, Community Tech, Civic Life, or something like that, that you could go to and you could see how much money each county and every state uh, received uh, in, in a, a grant, money that was not to be paid back. Uh, between the primary and the general election in 2020. And in the, the case of the Florida counties, there were nine counties that, that actually took funds. And like, like you said, Alachua County uh, received $700,000. It's a very simple process. You apply. Everyone who applied got money. So a lot of the supervisors elected not to go that route. But I can tell you this. We ran the numbers of the nine counties that took uh, Zuckerbucks in the 2020 election the difference between the number of registered Republicans and the registered Democrats, now this does not include the independents, of course, was an $805,000 positive on the side of the Democrats. So obviously, 800,000 more Democrat uh, voting counties received Zuckerbucks than Republicans in the uh, 2020 uh, general election. And of course, you know, again, the Republicans were thrilled with the outcome in 2020 in Florida because 
their candidate, you know, took the election quite handily. Uh, at the time, though, as you recall, we were considered the most important swing state in, in, in the world. OK, so what, you know, when, what happened in Florida, you know, was supposed to reverberate throughout the entire uh, country. Well, it didn't happen that way. Now you have to look just north of our border and, and see what happened there. But I think it's very interesting that so much of that money was poured into the heavily leaning Democratic counties as opposed to any of the Republican counties or that they were at least willing to take that money. So the real question moving forward now is how much influence and how complicit were these uh, third party nonprofits in terms of influencing that 2020 election? And I can tell you that one in particular that we've been dealing with quite a bit is one called the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. And as you know, Ward uh, Desmond Mead is a director and Neil Boltz is the deputy director. Now, let me tell you about Neil Boltz a little bit. Neil Boltz in uh, 2005 was a, a very high powered lobbyist up in Washington, D.C. He was actually indicted and rolled over on um, some very uh, big names up there. Uh, number one being, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Abramoff. Um, a, a U.S. congressman, uh, Nay, that he worked for. He was his deputy um, director up there. And so he rolled over on them, and those two gentlemen actually did federal time. Mr. Volts ended up with two years uh, of uh, federal probation. So that just gives you an indication of his um, moral compass in terms of his background. Now he wants to uh, label uh, convicted felons as returning citizens throughout our state. So he's more than happy to make money off the backs of um, this, these nonprofits he's getting paid for to register returning citizens of which he is one. Now, the director himself, Desmond Mead, has been everything but uh, time man of the year. He is actually, and you can believe this, living in a $3.3 million mansion in Windermere, Florida. So that has certainly raised some eyebrows as well. I could tell you that the one thing that I took from the, the phone call from the Office of Election Crimes and Security last week that gave me a little bit of hope is that they are actually investigating some of these third-party nonprofits in terms of these registration drives. Uh, who, did they get paid to sign people up? What did they tell the people they signed up, as um, was kind of indicated in the signing up, up of these inmates in the uh, Alachua County Jail? So these are important things that are uh, questions being um, investigated, being resolved as we speak. Of course, we're doing our own investigations. And I, we have relayed this, in fact, to the various news media outlets and also uh, law enforcement at the very highest level. So these investigations are underway, and they're going to um, come out with some sort of results. Unfortunately, they just take time. So I would uh, implore that your listeners tune into your show so that you can get the information um, not only first but foremost here on the Ward Scott file. So that's we're working very, very hard on that. But it's important for them to know that the Zuckerbucks um, were uh, slanted in, in terms of where they went towards the heavy-leaning Democrat um, regions of our state, you know, that being, you know, Orange County, uh, it's Alachua County, uh, Leon County, et cetera. There were a few uh, red states as well. I think Brevard was one. Certainly Lake County was one. Um, some of the, uh, I think one other small red county. But six of the nine counties were the heavily populated blue counties, you know, Miami-Dade, Palm Beach, Broward, that kind of thing. So um, we were working on that as well. I think that's more the big picture uh, in terms of do these uh, voters have any type of defense in terms of what they were told when they registered to vote? and who is getting paid to sign people up to register to vote. So that's going to be a big story moving forward, uh, regardless of statutes of limitations on that. Um, there are some implications of um, tax exempt status, uh, IRS charity um, exemption, those types of things. For example, the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition just got their tax exempt status uh, about a year and a half ago in July of 2021. And they've been in business for 10 years. They've been getting millions of dollars in grants from various and assorted entities, uh, including the Miami Dolphins, um, in order to um, forward their cause. The question is, were those grants given um, with the hopes of getting tax exemption or not? And also, why have they only filed one tax return, that return being what they call a 990N, which is a postcard return, which is just a checkbox that says, 
our gross receipts were $50,000 or less, which is an absolute impossibility. I have reached out to their uh, financial director, their treasurer, and she, I was directed to another organization called Tides, which is a, uh, a, cha- a worldwide charity that funnels in money from all over the world, and that money found its way into uh, Florida, into the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, and into uh, signing up voters. The question then becomes, were any of these voters eligible or not? So tax-exempt status, um, my, my mind races to money laundering, those types of things, um, no tax returns. You have to show the uh, top paid employees on your tax returns. We don't have any of that information. In fact, we only have the one tax return from 2021. So these are huge questions that, that need to be asked, have been asked, have been forwarded to the proper authorities. And I'll let our listeners kind of connect the dots on that. So we will certainly keep you posted moving forward. Um, just give us some time. Isn't that ironic? Because while we were uh, trying to work out the bugs and talking to you, I was getting ready to fill in the airtime with uh, Congress's uh, and Trump's taxes being released by uh, the uh, vigilantes there. Yet there's no story on this. I, I know no one else, mm-hmm. my friends listening and watching, uh, who are who, I know no one else is doing this story. And this is a huge story. Do you understand the implications for this? We'll probably have Mark reiterate this. What this opens the door to, uh, if you've got an organization that's kind of a laundry uh, for money coming in that can then go out the other side to, uh, how shall we say it, increase voter turnout or some form or another, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to clean up the comment a little bit. Uh, you've got something that has not been talked about that I know of publicly. Have you run across anybody else's uh, storyline along this uh, uh, particular interest, uh, Mark? Or is this, this is, uh, I think it's groundbreaking, but I'll let you answer that. No one, no one is covering this. Uh, it is the, the most mind numbing thing you can run across. Uh, the fact that no one is checking or double checking. It, it raises questions, of course, about the Internal Revenue Service, you know, right off the bat, uh, nonprofits in general. And, um, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Obviously, we've got, you know, uh, case in point would probably be the, be the Andrew Gillum um, PAC that turned into a, a nonprofit moving money over from um, uh, Ford, Florida to uh, Ford, Florida uh, Incorporated. Um, and then, of course, he's moved another $440,000 straight out of his PAC uh, to his legal defense team. So the question becomes, who is responsible and who is tasked with, you know, checking up on these types of things? And um, it looks like no one to me. So um, it's up to us as usual. And it's unfortunate that private citizens have to spend their time and energy to expose these obvious discrepancies and raise these questions. And then in the end, you, and you know this, Ward, you're, you're, end up, you're going to get vilified. You know, you become the bad guy all of a sudden. Somehow you have an agenda, you have some sort of motive somewhere. And, you know, obviously they're going to label you all types of things. Um, you, know, you know, we've gone through that over the years and uh, it's just unfortunate. And then when you do alert those who are tasked with doing it, it's a lot easier for them to do nothing than to take the bull by the horns and actually do what they're getting paid to do. And I, I realize some of these agencies are overburdened and, you know, underfunded. But now we have an, a specific office to look into these elections crimes, and uh, that's what that's simply that's what they are, and that's what they're tasked with doing. So they need to, you know. The question now is, what has that office done in the last four months? Okay, in the last four months since they had the rollout in August, they have one case of a woman who voted in two states. She voted in Alaska and Florida. And that was discovered through a database because 25 states uh, share databases to see if voters vote in two states. And then you have a Jamaican citizen who voted in South Florida. Okay, you have two cases. All right. In four months, we've given them over 100 cases and we could give them hundreds more. But what's the point? You know, at some point, it's like beating your head against the wall. It feels good when you stop. So they have plenty to do. 
what are they doing? Why are they uh, sitting on their laurels? You know, why aren't they doing what the, the, the Florida legislature tasked them with doing? And I think they're, at this point, they're almost petrified. Like I said earlier, they're like a deer in the headlights. They're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't. So they need to take notes and see what, what is Ward Scott doing? Why is he so successful? What is Mark Glazer doing? Why is he, why is he getting these across the finish line? What is the, the path forward on these? So they need to wake up. and They, they want to be funded again next year. They want, to, they want to double their funding. They've already put in their request. Okay, so what are we getting? Are we getting any bang for our buck? And I think the answer right now is no. And you have to tend to agree with some of these news outlets that are saying uh, that it's a solution in search of a problem if they're not going to come up with any results. That's all I'm saying. So I'm I'm calling them out absolutely. But rest assured that the the nonprofit Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, the, the questions that I just raised about their tax exempt status their tax return, and their lavish lifestyle has been forwarded not only to the Office of Elections, Crimes, and Security, but also to a federal agency. So, again, I just ask your listeners to give us a little bit of time. And we hope we have faith in the federal agencies because oftentimes, i got to be honest about it, um, you know, we're less than satisfied with their interest in what we give them uh, for one reason or another. Um, and that suggests, you know... Well, if- Go ahead. I'm sorry. If I if I if I go out on that limb, Ward, we'll, you'll definitely get pulled off the air. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just let's just say the the Twitter files have exposed quite a bit. Let's just leave it at that. And yeah. um, you know, with with the new ownership and what's going on over there, so uh, I'll leave I'll leave that to them. They're they're a lot more <laughs> well versed and well well represented than we are. Um, we're gonna we're gonna leave that one alone. We're we're just gonna keep our thumb on the scale here and keep the pressure on these folks to, to do the right thing. And we'll see where it lands. But um, another big, big story word, which we've talked about is these depositions um, that have, that are, have taken place and will take place with our local supervisor of elections and for former outreach directors. So um, I don't know if you want to set the table on that word or not. Uh, well, I just want to go back and pick up one thing. We are very pleased. It did mm-hmm. take a while. Uh, but we're very pleased. I think I could speak for Mark on this uh, in an agency that did perform, I think, a pretty thorough investigation, albeit it took a while. That's the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Um, they came back, if you recall, uh, uh, my listeners, uh, students, with uh, kind of a, 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 you know, a less than positive analysis of the behavior of the supervisor here. Is that, have I got that right, Mark? I'm doing it from memory. Yeah, and actually, you know, it's a heavily redacted report, so we can't really see if um, the inmates actually incriminated themselves, and that's why these sworn complaints came forward. But I can tell you that there was some question about whether or not to charge uh, either uh, supervisor or her outreach director with a misdemeanor, and the language in there indicated that there was a statute of limitations on misdemeanors. I'm not sure what it is, but it had, it had expired. So that, again, left them off the hook. So, uh, so many times, you know, we hear, well, why didn't you come up? Why didn't you come to us sooner? Or, you know, um, this story's not ready. Look, we discovered this in late February of 2021, uh, less than four months after the general election in 2020. I'm not sure how much quicker we can, you know, come up with, with hard evidence that's after an eight-month investigation turned into 10 sworn complaints and the questions of misdemeanors against those who were doing the registering. So um, moving forward, I think the defendants have decided to depose both the supervisor and the outreach director, as well as a lot of the Alachua County jail staff. I just sent you some depositions that are being um, requested last night. So some of those depositions have already been taken. Others are scheduled, some at the end of uh, January. And we will learn a lot once those those depots become a public record. Right now, they're a part of an ongoing criminal investigation, so we're not privy to those. But I can tell you that at the end of the day, I believe that Kim Barton and T.J. Pache will be called as witnesses on the five pending cases that have come out of the Alachua County Jail investigation. And uh, if and when that happens, I believe that T.J. Pache will invoke his Fifth Amendment rights 
uh, much like he did when FDLE came knocking on his door uh, now about a year and a half ago, which resulted in his almost immediate resignation from a very well-paying job at the supervisor's office with no real explanation other than it's time for me to leave. So, uh, again, these depositions are a big deal, and these pending cases, we're actually pleased that some of these cases are moving forward and are headed for jury trials because we believe that's when the real evidence will be exposed. Yes, you brought up a very good point about depositions and how one can see them. Uh, Generally, what we do, though, as Mark uh, uh, alluded to, is once that case is closed, we we get those case, we get that file, and we go through it. And we're not—I don't want to go into some of the ones that are pending for our curiosity, but there are a couple that we're getting ready to go through with a fine-tooth comb um, that are now quote-unquote closed. And that's another uh, way in which we validate, uh, or at least. Um, um, look for whether or not our suspicions were had any merit or not. And if not, why, so be it. And if uh, they do, why, we take it from there. So um, there's a lot of things that go on in the so-called legal world, which uh, we are pretty familiar with, uh, that legal world, um, that um, um, really kind of prevent, this is ironic, prevent the truth from coming out. Wouldn't you say, Mark? I mean, it's a funny way to say it, isn't it? But there are things yes, that are if, if you want to, unfortunately, to get to the bottom of some of these things, you have to get people under oath with a penalty if, if they lie under oath. That's, of course, that's where the, the feds always get you. Just, you know, you can do what you want, say nothing. But if you once you lie to them, you know, you're probably going to get charged. But in this particular case, you get someone under oath and they start, you know, uh, tangling this, this web and then they end up, uh, you know, incriminating themselves unless they're being truthful at all times. So, you have to assume that once they swear and take the oath that they, they are telling the truth, then, as you know, as you well know, Ward, it boils down to how how good is that liar lawyer that's, um, <laughs> doing the uh, the depot? You know, how, uh, can they drill down? Can they get distracted? Can they get off point? Do they get really get to the question? You know, and some of them are very very good at it, and some are not. As you as you've seen in some depositions, they they just they I I. Um, I equate it to uh, getting in the red zone and then, you know, spiking the ball at the one yard line. It's like <laughs> you were right there. Why did what, you know, one more follow up question and you, you hit pay dirt, you know? So yeah. um, it, it is interesting to, to, to read these depots and, and follow the, the minds of these lawyers, some of whom are brilliant, some who are not. And of course, you know, a lot of these inmates are dealing with public defenders. So um, you can do the math on that. Um, you know, not not always the best. Let's just put it that way. And um, we will get a lot of information out of those depositions. I'll just leave it at that. And yes, we are looking at other cases as well, which we believe will expose more of the corruption that's that's so heavily woven through our community and has been for for some decades, uh, go, going back easily to the '90s. You know, it, oh yeah, just, definitely. What yeah. what we know is just mind numbing and. It's it's almost unbelievable. Like you you say, it would you know raise the hair on your neck kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. Um, we're working okay. we're working hard, and we're, and we're going to double down. We talk with Mark Glazer, and we appreciate you all in the beginning hanging with us while we got our connections uh, uh, worked out, and we've had a great great conversation. This conversation will be out on the wordscottfiles.com, as well as about thirty seven different platforms. Uh, I'm told by production people. Um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, that sort of thing. And, of course, Rumble, uh, we're over live on and we post there. So we'll, we'll – um, and you're, you can take the show and spread the, the, the show around and have people pick up on it because of what we're talking about, you're not going to hear anywhere else. You're not going to hear it in this depth and this precision and uh, this documentation to back it up. None of these statements would be made uh, without some sort of uh, – documentation to authenticate them. Uh, we're not emotionally involved in the issue. Uh, this is pure kind of uh, research, really, scientific kind of research and analysis into uh, how the, uh, um, the the system works or where in the bumps in the road in the system are. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. We'll probably circle back with you in another month or so, and, and uh, by then there'll be a lot of situations that have accumulated that we'll be able to share with our students. So uh, 
Thanks, production, for working our connection out in the beginning. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll probably take uh, Monday off. I think that's after New Year's. I have to look at the calendar. But we'll talk about that tomorrow. So have a great, uh, have a great day. And uh, enjoy the warming up here where we are. Warthog Command Center out.